Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind. Let's roll. Right on. Hey guys, good to be with you. Had a great uh, men's retreat with you. Been with the CBI students all this week. Fine young men. Excited to see what God is going to do in their life. What a blessing. And uh, also, just, you know, for me, coming here was a part of my journey in what God had for me. As we look at our study here tonight, please make your way to Joshua chapter 14. We're going to highlight chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, and just briefly touch on things about what's my lot in life. What's your life look like? And then do you like your lot in life? And would you like to trade your lot with the guy next to you because you don't like yours so much? You ever felt that way? You're cruising through in your your life with God and you see somebody that just seems from the outside has this perfect life and you're like, how come that can't be me? I want that life. But the beautiful thing is, is God knows what you need and he has your life, as David said, all the words, all the chapters, all my story, God has already written in a book and it's already done. He sees what he's doing in your life. And when we look at our lot in life from this passage of scripture, because God is now giving the inheritance to the children of Israel. Now, this is an interesting thing. He says, hey, I'm giving you the owner's certificate of this lot of land, but it comes with a catch. It's not your typical homesteading where you can just go mark out the boundaries and you have this. No, there's actually an enemy there. And your job is, that land is yours, but you got to go fight to get it. Say, what? What kind of inheritance is that? One that makes you grow up. One that makes you press in and experience all that God has for you. God knows that you need the challenge because that's where growth comes from. When somebody goes to the gym, they call that resistance training. Isn't it a bizarre thing? We actually pay a company to allow us to go there and hurt ourselves. It's kind of a crazy thing. So that your muscles are sore and they're under strain and they're growing. Do you know in the last five decades, the testosterone of men in America has dropped by 50%? The testosterone of men in the last 50 years, it drops 10% per decade. If we stay on this course, (laughs) this is gonna be a a feminine looking group. (laughs) But as men, God has called us to be warriors. He has called us to take the ground that he's given to us. That means there's going to be conflict and challenge and struggle and difficulties. And some of us have had a life that looks like that, not only in the physical realm, but now we're talking about a spiritual realm, though these guys are dealing with a very physical battle that they have. 
It tells us here in this passage, you and I are going to learn about these tribes, those who did well and those who didn't do so well. Those who conquered the ground and those who conquered part of it, but this entrenched enemy, they could never quite conquer. Got one of those in your life? An area of your life that just feels like this has been the bane of my existence, the struggle of my life. This whole passage now applies to us as Christians about possessing our possessions in the Christian life. The leader of this story is a guy by the name of Joshua, a picture of our New Testament Jesus who is giving out the inheritance. He's giving the gifts out, but there's going to be a spiritual battle. It tells us in chapter 14 as we pick it up, we see this inheritance plan and how it's going to take place. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for nine tribes and the half tribe. Now, two and a half tribes already got their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan before they came in. Re uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. So now we see on the western side of the border, these guys are going to get their inheritance. Now think about it, though. It's by lot. It's like rolling dice or drawing straws. What do you mean? That's how God's going to give me my piece of dirt? By a roll of the dice? By... Otherwise, don't you know there's going to be some serious fights over who gets what lot? Like you get this barren pile of sagebrush, and this dude gets the, the spring and the oasis over here, and they're right next to each other. I think that was the wrong lot. Even to this day, you are going to look at the vacant lot that's for sale, right? It's called a lot. This lot in life for each of these tribes is a real picture for each of us because of the inheritance that God has for us in our life. Now, I love what Proverbs 18:18 18, 18 says, casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. The Lord knows if he casts lots through this process and he sovereignly superintends the lots to give everybody the exact lot that he wants them to have. God doesn't make mistakes. And I know even though you might feel like your life is a big dumpster fire, maybe a big fat mistake right now, God can work in that situation as you surrender to him to help you grow in the lot of life that God has given you. I discovered very early on, I have two children. My son's 33, my daughter's 31. And when they were young, there's always a big deal. They get one candy bar, right? And whoever gets to split it would split the big half for themselves and the, the, the little half for the, the sibling. And it was a, always a big ruckus. So it was a simple thing. It was my version of casting a lot. Okay, whoever has a candy bar, you get to divide it. They get to choose which half. It was amazing. They had a tape measure out. They're getting it down to the very, you know, 16th of an inch. But lots... If you flip a coin, like you and I have this opportunity, here's a great piece of dirt. It's a flip of a coin. It's 50-50, right? You get it or I get it. You can't say anything 
after that decision's made because there wasn't favoritism. But God knows the lot that he's going to give each tribe. Also, it tells us we can be competent in Proverbs 16, 33, as far as the Old Testament saints are concerned. We're not rolling for dice, flipping coins, casting lots. We're being led by God's spirit in this New Testament era. But it tells us the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So they had this confidence what God was going to do in this situation. Throughout this passage, if you read it, there's long paragraphs of description of locations, which are the boundaries that lay out all this stuff. And we're skipping that for now. We don't have a map up here in front of us. But just so that you realize, in this unfolding of things, God had it mapped out. But before they even get started, there's a guy that's been waiting for his lot for 45 years, right? His name's Caleb. They're gonna cast lots. He's gonna get some land and he goes, wait a second. I've had a promise for the last 45 years from Moses and I'm gonna take that promise right now and take care of business. In verse six, then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's, notice this, you're not only getting an inheritance, the inheritance that you forge that God's given to you is also for your children. The progress you make in your Christian life is a heritage to your kids. The Bible tells us that Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. His children shall be mighty upon the earth. That there is a legacy, spiritually speaking, for those who fight spiritual battles and bring the spoil to the family and the children and the grandchildren. It tells us, your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, twice in this passage, we see it also back in Numbers when all of this took place. And that is this incredible distinction about Caleb that he wholly followed the Lord. Caleb was one of those few people that don't, doesn't hold anything back from his walk with God. He's all in. His name means dog. And I think that's an appropriate word. He is tenacious like a dog. When Joshua and Caleb went in, they checked it out. They went for 40 days on this exploration of the land of Israel. They saw giants in the land. These are giants that are 8 to 10 foot tall, fortified cities, powerful walls, and they felt like grasshoppers in their sight. And 10 of those guys came back and said, oh, the land is good, but you know they got these big people there, these giants and they have these big fortified cities, and there's no way, there's no way we're going to be able to take them. Joshua and Caleb step up and say, no, 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 no. I love what Caleb said. 
He said, if God is with us, they will be our bread. That's Old Testament for we're going to eat their lunch. We are going to take them out. We are going to go after them. Caleb is a warrior at heart. Joshua is a warrior at heart. These guys, 10 out of 12, excuse me, 2 out of the 12, actually see above the big cities, above the big giants, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, so many of us, you might even come in here tonight, you feel defeated. The challenges in front of you are just bigger than you are. And it's true, but they're not bigger than you and the Lord by faith. Some of you came here and you have that challenge going on as you were coming here from home. You got a real challenge going on in your marriage. You got a real challenge maybe going on at work. Maybe you got some real challenges with temptation and sin has been kicking your butt getting the best of you. And we can get so defeated, we can get so lost, and I just, I, I, I can't handle this, I can't face this, I can't seem to rise above it. But Caleb and Joshua had the ability to look, yes, they saw the giants. It wasn't like they were delusional, they saw them. You see, big faith is not um, ignoring the reality of the challenge. It's just saying, yeah, there's giants. There's fortified city. But the God we serve, if he calls us to do this, if God be for me, who can be against me? There's nothing that can stop me if God has called me to this. And you are going to have a long list of challenges your entire life. Jesus said, if you have the smallest faith like a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain in front of you, be cast into the sea. You'll say to this tree that's blocking your vision, be pulled up by the roots and cast into the sea. And that's the smallest seed of faith, let alone a larger measure of faith. Is faith swelling in your hearts? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The more time I spend in prayer, in his word, the bigger my faith grows inside of me. It is the fuel, it is the nourishment to strengthen me to face the things that I have to face and you have to face. Joshua had this promise, and I love this because you go from this guy that was 40 years old when he went into the land. And now in verse 10 it says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And he said, These 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. We got any 85-year-olds here? All right. Praise the Lord. 85, 86? 86? Okay, 86. Right here. Uh, a Caleb on the second row. As yet, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now that's a big statement, right? How strong you are at 40? Whether, however God took care of Caleb super supernaturally to superintend this kind of strength that at 85 he was the same strength he could go in and go out my dad just turned 84 him and I were talking on the the phone the other day and my dad I've watched my dad's body right it just slowly begins to atrophy with age but my dad's on fire for Jesus 
And he's serving God in various ways, and he's passionate about the Lord, and passionate about the Lord coming again, and he's just, he's just moved. He's just made a big move. It's hard to move, you know. You're 84 years old and make a big move. He just moved from one state to the other. He was deeply involved in jail ministry where he was. He was involved with a drug and rehab meeting on Tuesday and Thursday nights and preached in the jails on Sunday mornings. And He's now moved to a new place, and now he's looking for the church. He's looking for the service. Where am I going to serve God? He's still like a Caleb in his tenacity to want to move forward with the things of the Lord. tells us in verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. They had a general war which they conquered central Israel and then the north, then the south, but now they're going to have battles over and over in everybody's specific lot of land or inheritance with those entrenched indigenous people. The Canaanites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Termites, the Flashlights, all the lights are there, and they got to deal with them. They got they, they to put out their lights. And Joshua gives him the land that Moses promised to him and for the third time in this passage, it said, for he wholly followed the Lord. Only Joshua and Caleb, out of two to three million people, as far as the men, everybody under the age of 20 was going to go into the new promised land. Everybody over the age of 20 died in the longest death march in human history. The men marched around in the desert, and for 40 years, they dropped like flies. They died because they did not have the faith to enter in to the promises of God. God gives us promises and he wants us to enter into those promises. And Caleb was wanting to grab a hold of and enter into the promise. And he said, I want that mountain where I walked in Hebron, Kirjath Arba, where the Anakim are. Now the scriptures for the Israelites, they call them Anakim. And the Moabites had a name for them, and the Edomites had a name for them, the Zamzumim, and uh, I can't remember the other one. Basically, they have all these names. That means the uh, terrifying ones, the roaring ones. Anakim means the long necks. They have really long necks. And here, <laughs> we know that Goliath, kind of a holdover from that, is a, it tells us his height, that he is nine foot, eight inches tall. He is four inches from a 10-foot basketball hoop with his head touching it. These guys are big dudes, right? And so an 85-year-old says, where's those giants at? <laughs> and not only that, he wants the mountains. So the terrain is uphill. The older you get, the more you like flat ground, right? 
This uphill thing makes your butt burn. Going up, your thighs burn. Active. But he wants to go uphill. He wants to take tough terrain. And he wants to conquer the giants that are there. And he does it. Hebron, which they changed the name from Kirjath Arba to Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. The guy that wholly followed the Lord and his strength came from his fellowship with God is the new name of this city. I'm going to call it fellowship. That's what Hebron means. You want to strengthen power in your life and conquer the turf that you want? Wholly follow the Lord, fellowship with the Lord, and don't be afraid of the challenges. Because you know as you get older, usually we just get safer and safer and safer and safer. And little things can upset us. Caleb doesn't seem to be that way. I love the verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Gospel of Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Check that out. It says, until from the days of John the Baptist, violent people are attacking God's people, violently abusing them, lying about them, uh, reviling them, make fun of them. And he says, but the violent take the kingdom of heaven by force, meaning that it takes a spiritual aggression to press into this thing called the Christian life. It definitely, the Christian life is not for pansies. If you wanna be used of God, the challenges that are gonna come your way, and it tells us in the first verse of chapter 15, so this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. So now it's going to tell us how he actually went through the process. And we're going to see that he doesn't only wholly follow the Lord. And he has fellowship with the Lord. He believes God's promises by faith. He still is renewing his strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Caleb is the ultimate example of that. And we're going to see how he produces warfare. You know, all of us, we come from different places. There are some people that came from a military background, so you know what physical conflict is like. Some of us grew up on the streets. We know what physical conflict is like. I grew up going from school to school to school, and my brother and I would have this little pep talk. I was raised by an ex-con, so we moved about every six months. So we went to a new school every six months. And uh, because, you know, the ex-con, he's, he's always running from the law. From my stepdad's own words, he um, had pulled off about 30 armed robberies in the Phoenix area over a period of time. And he was a very violent guy, and, and he was always on the run. So we had to move schools. But my brother and I, my older brother, we'd be sitting in the office. My mom signing us up for school. This was the conversation. My older brother. Now, Ricky? Now, my older brother calls me Ricky. Please don't call me Ricky. You may call me Rick. But Ricky is reserved for the guy that bled a lot for me. That's my older brother. He's now, now Ricky, we're going to go in these classrooms, and we don't know what they look like. We don't know what their names are. We don't know who they are. But the bully is going to find you and I in this first week, and they're going to try to punk us. They're going to try to see if they can treat us like punks. And he said, no matter, once you finally discover who that is, I want you to throw down and do your best and just punch him as many times as you can, even if he whips you. Because if he whips you, I'm going to come whip him. And he said, I'm going to do the same thing. And I know you, if I get whipped, 
you can't come rescue me, but I can rescue you. So every week, first week of school, you know, and we had just started school at a Campobello Elementary School over in Phoenix, Paradise Valley area, and I was in the third grade. And I was playing with this kid, Cameron, who was also my next door neighbor, and we went to the same school, and this big kid came up. His name was Scott Ladoon. And Scott Ladoon was one of those guys that was in the sixth grade. I was in the third grade. But he's one of those guys that looks like he can already shave. You know, those guys, they just, in, you don't know where they came from. Like, like, have you been held back three years? Or, I mean, how old are you? Do you have your driver's permit? You know, you're in sixth grade. <clears throat> and he came up, and he started messing around with us and knocking my friend Cameron to the ground. And I thought to myself, I just remembered the conversation that I had with my brother, and I don't think he thought that it was going to be this big a guy. Right? I'm thinking to myself, well, that was the agreement. I guess here we go. <laughs> so I told Scott Ladoon to leave my friend Cameron alone, and he looked at me and said, what are you going to do, you little punk? And I hit him as hard as I could, and, uh, and then I looked at him. I really just ticked him off. I mean, he was going to, he was going to obliterate me. And so I start backing up and seeing how you know, fast I can dodge after I hit him in the face. Fortunately, a teacher broke it up. I broke my hand. I broke these small bones in the hand. If you, any of you are boxers, they call it a boxer fracture. And so immediately this knot like swelled up from my broken hand from hitting Scott Ladoon in the face. And so I have to go to the, the nurse. And she said, what would you do to your hand? And I said, oh, you know, I, somebody hit me with a hula hoop. <laughs> And I went into a cast for the next three or, three or four weeks with a broken hand. But I was concerned next day, because Scott Ladoon is going to kill me, right? But my, when my brother heard, I'm going to the hospital, I'm going to get my, a cast on my hand, my brother goes the next morning to Scott Ladoon's bus stop, finds out where it is, and he knocks the tar out of Scott Ladoon. So I never had to worry about Scott Ladoon again. But we grew up in a physical sense, growing up on the streets, growing up fighting, scrapping, and knowing what those things are like. And then you get saved, and you come into this new realm, and, and it's a different battle, right? We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. But the conflict is the same. The devil's a bully, right? He's a bully. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to condemn you. He wants to tempt you and then hold you by the shame that he gets you into with sin. When Caleb comes, now he's going to actually take the ground. Until now, you might think, well, you know, the 85-year-old guy can talk. Let's see if he can fight. <laughs> it says in verse 13, now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave the share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord, to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is in Hebron. Hebron, or excuse me, Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. So this is what Caleb did. He drove out the three sons of Anak. Remember, Anak, who is the leader of this clan, the Anakim, or the Longnecks, and he has three sons, Shishai, Hyman, Talmai, and the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber. Formerly the name of Deber was Kirjath Seraph. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give Aksaw, my daughter, as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it 
and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that he persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Caleb is not just as an older man wholly following the Lord and pursuing the hill country, tough ground to take, pursuing the giants so he can get his inheritance, but he also has this gift to inspire the next generation. So when you and I fight our spiritual battles, it's important that we inspire this next generation to want to take spiritual ground and to grow in our walk with the Lord in whatever that might mean to them. So when he says, hey, they come to this town, Kirjath Sefer, which later is going to be called Deber. He said, you know, whoever takes this town, who's ever the first guy over the wall? Whoever's the first guy to breach this city? I'm going to give you my daughter, Aksa. She's the prize. So Othniel, who is Caleb's brother's son, he is his nephew. Othniel is the first of the judges in the book of Judges. As we move from Joshua into the book of Judges, Othniel is the first one to step up and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. How did he have that experience? Have you noticed how God uses families? Because when you're in close proximity to someone that loves God and is sensitive to God and used by God, then you also get inspired to have that kind of life. You see what the inheritance of God is doing in their life. You see their faith. You see their passion. You see their peace. You see their love. You see their kindness. You see their sense of purpose because you know that's the questions that everybody's asking, right? Where did I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? Do you know if you know these three simple questions, you know more than the population of the earth unless they know Jesus? Do you realize that? Where'd I come from? God created me. Why am I here? To have a relationship with him and to love others. Where am I going? I'm going to be with him, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and I'm going to spend eternity with him. Don't you know all this young generation and the people around you and the people at work, where did they come from? Well, they evolved, right? They're an accident. They're an accident. It's kind of like from the goo to the zoo to you. That's how I got here. Why am I here? Survival of the fittest. Step on whoever I need to to move up the food chain. Whoever's strong survives. So I'll step on people, don't care about them. And where are you going to go when you die? Well, that's it. They're you know, nihilistic, meaning that I just go on the ground and it's over. Now, you can put those things on a bumper sticker and really inspire a generation, can't you? How'd you get here? You're a big fat accident. Why are you here? To step on other people and survive. Where are you going when you're done? In a black hole, and they're going to throw dirt in my face. Man, I'm just motivated, all warm and fuzzy, ready to go live life. But if I believe sincerely, as the scriptures tell me, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has created We are his workmanship. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that God has prepared your life 
of the good things in front of you, and that's your inheritance. Now you just have to live it out. You have to walk it out. You're not earning for your salvation. You are saved. Therefore, in your love, you want to express that to this lost world by God's grace. As a young man, I was inspired by godly people that were serving God. I got saved at the age of 19, and I started going to this church. And the whole church was really young. Like, they're all 30-year-olds. And everybody was on fire for God. People wanted to serve the Lord. Like almost every night of the week, something was going on. And it's so contagious. I just wanted to be a part of it. And pretty soon you're teaching Sunday school or you're help teaching at a home fellowship or this or that. And then I was asked to be the pastor's first assistant pastor. This was back in 1989. I'm 24 years old. I want to serve God. And they said, well, why don't you just come on staff and it'll be on-the-job training. Now, I didn't grow up in church. And so I thought, I thought pastors were pretty weird, right, from a distance. They're always in a suit and tie. I thought they mowed their lawn in a suit and tie. I just thought they kept pastors in a basement, and there's like some lift that when it's Sunday, they just bring them up. They, they can't let them out in public. And, and so for me to get into this realm was very, very foreign, and for God to call me into it. But then I felt like God was changing so many people. People were getting saved. People were following the Lord, marriages were being healed, drug addicts were getting clean, drunks were getting sober. I'm like, man, to see people changed, to be able to take ground that the enemy has dominated for a long time in a person's life or in a family and see it redeemed for God's grace, man, so powerful. And when you've been a part of it, it's like, it's like a drug. Like, it, and the scriptures actually, this Greek word, in, in the book of 1 uh, uh, Corinthians, Paul the Apostle uses this word, means addicted to the ministry of the saints. And that's what happened. I become an addict, right? I'm an addict in the sense of being able to be a vessel and useful for God and to be close to the things of God. So I'm like, Lord, if you want to send me out, I would love to go somewhere and start a church for you. Just start teaching the Bible. I was young. So at the age of... Uh, 26, I went and started Calvary Chapel of Pocatello. Some people came to church, about three or four families they wanted to start. And so in 10 months, the Lord had just done this miracle of putting a building together. There's about 30 people coming. We ended up with a radio station. Pastor Chuck Smith bought the radio station and the building for us to have it. And it was this really cool thing. But in the midst of that, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, hey, you're going to plant this work, but you're not going to pastor it. And I'm like, okay. I told my wife that. I said, Hey, the Lord just spoke to my heart. I'm going to start this church, and I'm not going to pastor it, so I'm going to go do something else. And she goes, well, who does that? I said, well, Paul the Apostle did it all the time. Came to town, started a church, moved on. God had a plan. I handed it off to a guy. It excelled. It went from 30 people to 1,500 people in the next few years. God just blessed it. But when I felt like the Lord was moving me on, I had heard about Don McClure here. And he had just been here for a year, and it was a tough time. This is 1992. And I called him and I said, hey, I want to come visit. I got a wife and two kids. And I would love to come help you maybe for a year or two and then go back out and plant another church. I want to learn some more stuff. I'm 26. I'm going to make lots of, lots of mistakes. I would rather learn from your mistakes than my mistakes. And so I moved here. So I show up with a U-Haul. And I go upstairs. Now, this is, this is ironic. I'm upstairs in the C building right now in what is the, the guest room that they have for uh, speakers and things. But that room, the end of it, uh, the end down by the, where the kitchen is, the living room, 
was the room that I moved into. It was a little Sunday school uh, room with long shag carpet. My wife and two kids, we moved into a Sunday school room. And the battle and the challenge that was raging and going on here, I just wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And God began to move and he began to work. And God's just transformed and helped me grow through that whole process. But then the Lord called me to go to another town. After 18 months, I learned what I wanted to learn. And I went to a town and I was talking to another pastor, the guy that I'd really grown up in Idaho, under in Idaho. And I was going to go to Idaho Falls, Idaho. Anybody know where Idaho Falls is? It's, it's kind of by on the way to Yellowstone on Highway 15. So Idaho is, eastern Idaho is dominated by Mormonism. Strong, strong Mormonism. And so when I told this pastor, hey, I want to go to Idaho Falls and start a church, he said, you want to go where Satan's throne is. Now, that was a little scary for me as a young pastor, that the pastor I respect, he'd go, you want to go where Satan's throne is? And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> because the spiritual darkness, the Bible talks about doctrines of demons. There is a spiritual battle behind regions where cults rule the roost. And that's what happened. I went there, and it was a spiritual battle. It was like Caleb going to conquer his own mountain of giants. I went to the, I had to work full time, so I'm a tile setter by trade. So I worked 50 hours a week on the road, and then I would just do a Sunday service and then get back on the road. And I did that for a full year until like the church, enough people, about 100 people were coming after a year. And after that year, I heard about the ministerial association, the pastors that were in town. They have a prayer meeting on this day each week, and so I found out where it was, and I showed up. And uh, you have to realize, I was 28 at the time, and when I was 28, I looked like I was 18. I looked like I just got out of high school. I know, for some, I still look like a Mormon missionary, but at least I'm an older version of a Mormon missionary. So I went to pray for the, with these pastors, and I was the young guy, right? Everybody was there in their 50s. And there was about 10 guys there. And they went around the room and every one of them bemoaned how defeated they were in this community. How anemic and powerless their churches were because of the dominance of Mormonism. And I was just a young guy. I'd only been there a year. But we already had 100 people and people were super stoked about Jesus and growing in the word of God. And I just bit my lip because, you know, the young punks should not talk. Age should speak. I felt a little bit like Elihu in the book of Job. Like, just keep your mouth shut. But when they were saying these things, in my mind, all I could, it just went over in my mind, over and over, the words of David. When young David, at 15, 16, goes to deliver some food to his brothers and to deliver a gift to their officer when Goliath was coming out and he was challenging them, David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And his brothers began to mock him for it. Eli Eliab did. And I felt that as a young guy because God had put this faith in my heart to go to this land of giants, this stronghold of Mormonism, and share the light of Jesus. I knew it was going to be a long haul. It's not going to just be overnight. So you move forward, fast forward. I stay there for 24 years. Church grows to about 3,000. We have a large school, radio network, all kinds of stuff. And, God, and about 40% of those 3,000 uh, 3, people used to be Mormons. So the work of God's grace to do this 
by his spirit, just simply by faith. You see, this work we have, the weapons of our warfare are love and truth. We're not in a physical battle. But you know, in this last few years, I started a, a ministry to do consulting for churches. And I came to California and I met a whole new land of giants, right? Some of them are these huge giants, Google, Facebook, these di different individuals. In the last two years, I keep getting kicked off of YouTube for things I'm saying. Like, I mean, really controversial things, like there's just a male and a female, right? Wow, so provocative. That homosexuality is sin? You blow it and these big tech people, they kick you off. I call it YouTube prison. I've been in YouTube prison for a week. You do two things, they take you off for two weeks. Within six months, you go out, do it three times, you're done for good. So I would pause after the second one, get past the six months, and then start all over again. But you know, that big giant has been influential, influential. This is, a, this is a valley of darkness, you guys. And they don't want the light of Jesus here. And you are in a battle with the culture. You live in the land of giants. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Right? We don't have anything to fear. We can take the ground. When I came in 2019 and spent time with the team for seven months, we did the big remodel. We, uh, you know, we did uh, grubby Sunday after Sunday service. We came in here and tore out the old flooring. It took us 37 minutes with the whole congregation. And then they put down the new stuff. When we did all the carpet in the lobby in the sanctuary, took us 49 minutes to tear all the carpet out when you have like 300 people doing it. Many hands like make light work. With the young interns, we filled 15 40-yard dumpsters of trash from this place. But it's very much like Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. God wants to do a new work. And we came up with this theme. We were just praying and Pastor Mike said, you know, I really want to impact this bay with the good news of Jesus. So we came up with this theme that we begin to pray about and work towards, rock the bay. By the time the Josiah Project was done and the sanctuary was done and they opened up during COVID, the church grew to three times the size because nobody was standing up against the giants of governmental tyranny. But Pastor Mike did, by faith. Even if they took everything you had, he's like, faith, and we have this incredible thing in America called the Constitution. Have you ever heard of it? You might let, let people know that that happens. <clears throat> May the Lord help us as a, a group of men to rally around, just like, like Caleb inspired an entire generation that helped him take his inheritance. May God use us to take this ground for Jesus and to rock the bay because we don't have to be afraid. Yes, they're going to revile us. Yes, they're going to do this. Yes, they're going to uh, smear us. The left only has two weapons. It's to lie about you 
right? You're a homophobe, you're a white supremacist, you're a transphobe, any phobe they like to call you. And (laughs) they try to shame you because they think that's going to shut you up. The gospel and the truth cannot be muzzled if men are filled with faith and their wives are filled with faith because they're inspired by the men and their children begin to grow up living by faith, fearless for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray the Lord helps us by his spirit. Father, we just ask that in your grace you would do a work, you would build us up. I pray for these men that you would do a special anointing in this season of the fellowship and the ministry here. Lord, give us courage. Forgive us for our timidness. Forgive us for our lack of boldness. Lord, help us by your spirit. Lord, show us the work that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in it in your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, men. darkness I won't hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind and you've got truth for the taking but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die whoa 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 Time's trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 I will keep my heart seeking.